our partners remain really united around the same common objective that we came together around two years ago. That is to implement federal policies that are going to ensure affordable, reliable, carbon-free, 24-7 power technologies when the member companies are going to need them, and that's really in the 2030s. And so the focus on the suite of technologies has not changed. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. In February 2021, EEI and its members worked with industry leaders and leading environmental groups to launch the Carbon-Free Technology Initiative, or CFTI. The primary goal of CFTI is to identify and advocate for specific policies that can help to ensure the commercial availability of key technologies so that they can be deployed in a timely manner to help achieve net zero emissions in the U.S. electric power sector and to ensure electricity remains affordable and reliable for customers. I'll quickly mention that CFTI's other founding partners include the Bipartisan Policy Center, the Center for Climate and Energy Solutions, Clean Air Task Force, Clear Path Action, the Great Plains Institute, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, the Nuclear Energy Institute, and Third Way. Joining us today to reflect on the progress of CFTI's policy and funding goals and to explain the next steps are Jeff Ling, Area Vice President of Energy and Sustainability Policy at Excel Energy, and Eric Holtzworth, Managing Director of Clean Energy and Environmental Policy at the Edison Electric Institute. Jeff and Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. To start off, Jeff, can you remind our listeners about the key technology areas that CFTI has been focused on? You bet. Thanks, Brian. And I just want to say thank you again to EEI for an invitation to join the podcast again. I'm excited to join my friend and colleague, Eric Holdsworth, and discuss uh, our favorite topic, the Carbon-Free Technology Initiative. Uh, look, I just, I think fundamentally, first off, that our partners remain really united around the same common objective that we came together around two years ago. That is to implement federal policies that are going to ensure affordable, reliable, carbon-free, 24-7 power technologies when the member companies are going to need them, and that's really in the 2030s. And so the focus on the suite of technologies has not changed, Brian. We are still focused on zero carbon fuels, on advanced renewables, including super hot rock geothermal, on carbon capture, utilization, and storage, especially for natural gas, uh, advanced nuclear, that's both fission and fusion, and long duration storage, uh, including as part of that advanced demand efficiency. So really those five technology areas um, have not changed through the process. I just want to mention really briefly, I think what's powerful about this is that it's a portfolio of technologies, it's a portfolio of options. We're not trying to identify a single technology here. I think the group has collectively really said, we can do a lot with current technology uh, to get a long way toward carbon free, but we'll need some new form of dispatchable generation because available land area is constrained, um, variability of certain resources becomes a challenge in very low carbon uh, environments. And when we constrain uh, firm dispatchable resources, we know that that can lead to reliability and affordability challenges. So, you know, the resources might change um, state by state or service territory by service territory, and the needs may vary, 
But I think what holds everybody at the table is this uh, suite of technology uh, options that are 24-7 and carbon-free. So CFTI initially developed funding and policy recommendations, and that included some specific recommendations for the Department of Energy to really help accelerate the research, development, demonstration, and deployment of clean energy technologies over the next five years. What are some of the recommendations that Congress has actually ended up supporting, Eric? And thanks, Brian. And again, pleasure to pleasure to be here. Before I get to your question, I just wanted to jump in on something Jeff said, and I think this really is what makes CFTI such a unique and dynamic um, uh, effort, is that we really bring together a very diverse group of stakeholders. And a lot of times, these are people that might not be on the same side of the table. We might be on opposite sides of the table on different policies, uh, different uh, issues. But here at CFTI, and as Jeff noted, all the partners, industry, environmental NGOs, think tanks, all deeply committed to moving forward this you know, set of next generation technologies to really help the industry getting to zero, recognizing that there are a lot of tools in the toolbox. As Jeff said, we'll need more than just one. We'll probably need more than these five, right? We'll probably need a whole suite of them. But we focused on these five areas because we thought they had the most uh, potential for the electric power sector getting to net zero. And of course, we play a key role in helping the economy get to net zero. So I just wanted to echo what Jeff had said at the beginning about what a dynamic, um, uh, you know, enterprise this is. And that's, I think, what really has helped make us effective. And this takes me to your question, Brian. Um, so yeah, some of the recommendations that CFTI came out with, and we had very detailed recommendations in each of the five policy areas that Jeff talked about, but we also then looked at them collectively and had some sort of overall collective recommendations, uh, which I think are now reflected uh, in the DOE budget. We we um, suggested a tripling of the DOD, the DOE, our D&D budget, and we got just about that. If you add in the Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations and the other funding, honestly, maybe one point looking back, when we set out these recommendations, our goal wasn't to do what was in the ballpark. We challenged ourselves to think outside of the ballpark. What's it really going to take? So sky's the limit. And we said, hey, it's really going to take probably a tripling of DOD's, our D&D budget, DOE's budget. Didn't think that would come to pass. And yet here it is. We also recommended that they create an office of clean energy demonstrations to help coordinate all of these efforts. Again, didn't think that was going to come to pass. And yet here it is, right? Because all of us collectively believed in that. And I think people saw the wisdom of it. One other area I would point out um, quickly that uh, CFTI called for that we see now in the DOE uh, process is the use of hubs. Uh, There's a lot of focus on hydrogen hubs, but the hubs are ways you can drive multiple technologies at once. And uh, we see a lot of focus on that. So look, I could go on and we don't have all the time on the podcast to do this, but to me, what's important is, so those were three of our major recommendations. You see that reflected and we've had success, not just in IIJA, but some of CFTI's early recommendations were in the Energy Policy Act of 2020. So already this group has been able to help move the needle, a lot more work to be done. And Jeff, do you think just having such a diverse group of stakeholders here supporting CFTI has really helped drive that outcome? Well, absolutely. I mean, it always helps to have a a chorus and a collaborative voice here. And I think that's certainly been key to our success. Um, You know, just to add to Eric's answer, you know, if you go back to the four kind of main categories of recommendations that we made in February of 2020, Eric talked about significant increases in R, D, D, and D for 
the Department of Energy. I think um, you know our top line recommendation of triple by in the next five years. You know, uh, we're conducting a gap analysis now to really look at how close did we get. Um, and our colleagues at ITIF, I want to just mention them. Uh, they they track pretty closely DOE's uh, spending and their fiscal year budgets, and so um, we're going to be really looking closely at how close that 62 billion right, that DOE has from IIJA over the next four to six years, how close does that come uh, on an annual basis to what we asked for? I think as also as Eric talked about, we asked for establishing dedicated programs. And I think we got that really uh, in spades, the Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations, um, hub concepts around zero carbon fuels and carbon capture. You know, I'm most proud of a, a recognition more generally by policymakers, and this gets to your, your question, Brian, and the diversity of the, the uh, stakeholders that we have involved, but a recognition by policymakers that we are going to need more than just wind, solar, and batteries, right, to get to a net zero future, that we are going to need new technology. So DOE standing up some 60 new programs, um, you know, focused on various technology areas that are really consistent with what I outlined at the top. The two areas where I think, you know, there's particularly more work to be done and, you know, there may be legislation yet to come this year, but um, creating a technology neutral tax credit uh, and other financial incentives, that's something that we really advocated for. Perhaps that's part of a reconciliation package and, and tax extenders for renewables, as well as direct pay. Um, and then addressing siting and permitting infrastructure uh, and, and, the, and the state and federal processes around streamlining them. I think that's another area of necessary future work, particularly as we transition into implementation and deployment. But I think the partners within CFTI, I think, um, should be proud of the work that we've done because it's having a great uh, impact, in my opinion. So you both actually have mentioned DOE's new Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about what this office entails? And, and maybe, Eric, you can start just a little bit about um, are they staffing up? What sort of timeline do they have for funding projects? Do people submit proposals? Just just a little bit more about how we expect that to work out. Sure, no, happy to. And, and um, you know, there's there's the theory and then, then we'll see what actually happens. But um, I think one of the great things about creating this office and one of the reasons that CFTI pushed for it is it's one thing to have a lot of independent siloed demonstrations. But what we're really talking about here particularly with things like hubs is being able to bring all of this together in a collective, you know, collective enterprise. And you really need an entity that can watch over all of that, that can make sure all those pieces are getting fit together. And so that's, I think in large part, one of the main jobs. I mean, of course that involves an infinite number of details for every project, right? But that's in my mind, kind of the main important function of this office is to help coordinate all that to make sure these demos do move forward the funding is flowing, it's getting to the states, it's getting to the demo programs. You know, people are able to participate. Stakeholders have knowledge of when these funding awards are gonna become available. There's a regular process. That's what this office is supposed to put together. Of course, as we just mentioned, Jeff and I, right? DOE just had its budget tripled. I mean, it's their largest budget increase. And I think as the secretary herself said, 40 some years, it's a massive effort with a massive amount of staffing required understandable that they're spending a lot of time right now just trying to get the bodies hired uh, that are going to be needed to carry out the programs. Uh, I, I do think we all feel a sense of urgency on this, probably none more so than DOE. 
like to get them staffed up because we really need to keep this project moving forward. Um, I'll just say maybe one word on that. I know Jeff has some thoughts too, but um, you know, the importance of making sure that the funding moves forward, that we don't get caught in any kind of bureaucratic inertia and that people have a sense of when that's going to happen and how they can access. And I know Jeff at, at the company level, you guys do even more thinking about this than we do at the trade association level. And uh, I wanted to let you chime in on this as well. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Well, maybe just to, to pick up where you left off there, you know, two thoughts, one around timeline and one around risk, right? So we, we, we have collectively been able to establish this office uh, and to give it significant funding to support clean energy hubs. Um, and I think you're exactly right. Let's think about timeline and implementation. You know, our industry, the energy industry is, is an industry of planners. Uh, we do resource planning, uh, many of us, three and four year resource planning. And so one of the things that I think could be really helpful to uh, the technology ecosystem, if you will, is for DOE to publish a timeline of funding that they're anticipating from IIJA or the Energy Policy Act of 2020 or other program funds that they have, just the general timeline, you know, over the next five years, say, what are the various focus areas going to be and how, uh, what are the ranges of the awards? I think they did a fantastic job of this with the Hydrogen Hub RFI where they really outlined uh, various funding components and the sort of tranches of funding that they're planning. That I think would help immensely, not just energy companies, but all of the technologists and practitioners and everyone that's again, part of that technology ecosystem to know basically how the next five years, the next 10 years will really play out in terms of federal funding. I think that's a key area and, and, and I'm hoping a key um, focus of the CFTI and our advocacy going forward you know, the second is risk. And I, I think it's one of the fundamental challenges and it's part of the purpose of, of an office like this, which is to share the risk of new clean energy demonstrations. Um, in some sense, DOE really must take on some of the risk of these projects and that risk tolerance has to really be there else uh, some of the risk shifts to the states and to our customers. So there has to be shared risk models that really allow these new technologies to be, to be piloted, ultimately scaled and deployed. Um, our industry, of course, needs approval from our state economic regulators. And uh, historically they've been, um, they have, I would say, discouraged R&D uh, projects. Uh, that risk profile, I think, also has to change. So we really have to think about shared risk, but also really specifically, what are the mechanisms? How do we actually do that? things like contracts for differences or other grant structures. We proposed a number of them under CFTI. So I think we really are sort of pivoting toward, uh, again, implementation. And I do think a clearer timeline for the next five, eight, 10 years, and really purposeful uh, sharing of the risk and state federal regulatory models, I think really have to evolve with the technology. You know, Jeff, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, right? But this is, I think you and I both see this, right? This is a once, almost a once in a lifetime opportunity to advance these critical technologies. And that's why I think CFTI, I think that's why EEI and its members, I think that's why a lot of stakeholders uh, are so focused on trying to make sure that DOE works through the hiring process, um, because that's sort of on the administrative side to get to this really critical practical side. 
of getting those demos moving forward and the R research and development, the demonstrations, right? Because, and part of the reason we're focused on this at CFTI, if we're going to have these technologies, these next generation technologies available to help us meet net zero goals by 2050, we need to know, and Jeff says this better than anybody I know, we need to know by the early 2030s, if those things are even deployable, are they scalable? And, and so the longer it takes for us to start moving that, the longer that gets delayed, the harder it gets to meet net zero by 2050. Uh, so I think it's another reason that we're so focused on this. And you tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, Jeff. But I think- no, not hardly. I mean, we, uh, I, I think just in the two years since we started working on this, um, you know, the challenge has gone from important to important and urgent. 2030 is seven and a half years away. And if you look at um, commercialization uh, timeframes for the technologies that are uh, fully scalable today, wind and solar, they took decades. Um, And we don't have decades. We've got a decade uh, or less. And so I think that is, Eric, what holds really everybody together, which is this um, must succeed dynamic, right? And, and I think there has to be a lot of parallel processing, right? DOE staffing up the 1,000 or so hires, a massive campaign that they're doing. Um, RFIs for certain information. And I think DOE's done a wonderful job of soliciting information for future funding opportunity announcements. But also this sense too that the, the, the part that I really worry about, Eric, is how does public policy play into this, right? And what is the state federal uh, partnership uh, around risk sharing, and that's got to develop too, right? And probably in some cases, state policy necessary. So many, many things have to really come together in the next seven and a half years for at least a few of these technologies in the portfolio to be ready and deployable and reliable um, in 2030. So with the timeline that you laid out, Jeff, do you see CFTI being anchored in some of those initial goals and recommendations or is it going to be iterative as the group looks at where technologies are and, and kind of course correct along the way? Yeah. Well, I think we built really strong momentum, you know, Brian. I think the shared vision is, cl- is clearly there. You talked about the NGOs at the top of the, of the podcast, plus we, uh, NEI is also involved. I think there's a sense of our collective uh, success that, that we built. Um, and these groups have just recommitted. We've now launched a new phase of CFTI where we're looking at a gap analysis, right? What was um, what was fully passed in the Energy Policy Act of 2020? What passed in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act? Uh, where where are, is our work done? Where is it partially done? And where do the gaps remain? Also, too, you know, it's been it's been two years, and so technology thinking has changed, and and uh, new companies have been started, and new technology evolution has happened, and so. We're refreshing all that. Um, so I think the shift is naturally going to, to change as the technology advances, uh, but I don't think the cause changes at all. In fact, I think the fact that we're all recommitting to it is, is a demonstration of that. Um, we're now talking in a big way about implementation. Um, this is where the states get involved. This is where regional partners get involved. And how can we sort of broaden that conversation among our NGO partners so I think the relationships that we've built and the coalition that we've built is, is gaining momentum. And I think the sense of urgency is clearly there. I think the, the, the focus could change. I was just going to add the, uh, that, you know, and so, of course, that's the forward-looking part. And then 
Uh, of course, we were just talking about DOE and this follow through on uh, the funding, and that's really our other focus uh, right now is to make sure that the um, successes and the policy recommendations that were enacted um, get carried through and we can follow through on that. And then as Jeff said, it's important to um, update those recommendations, right? CFTI was never designed to be a one-year vehicle, right? To bring these technologies home will take a decade or more and we just have to keep chipping away at it. And you mentioned this, Jeff, but it probably is worth reiterating just how important a role the states actually have here and just the collaboration that will have to take place between electric companies and the government partners as they really look forward to kind of achieving their goals here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the state level is where resource planning decisions are made. And, and that doesn't change with the Carbon Free Technology Initiative or the IIJA. That will, that will certainly continue. I think our industry has a really strong track record of uh, successful planning, working with states to accomplish their you know, long-term public policy goals. You know, a few, a few specific ideas, though, Brian, of, of the role that, that states now play. And again, we, we move into a collaborative role supporting DOE and supporting our states. I think first and foremost, you know, review, reviewing and approving the current plans or the interim plans that our member companies have before regulators is really important. So for us at Excel Energy, uh, we recently have a plan approved by regulators in the upper Midwest that will achieve a mid-80s. Uh, greenhouse gas reduction from 2005. Again, that's current technology. Uh, wind, solar, uh, battery storage, natural gas, uh, an important role for nuclear as well uh, in the upper Midwest for us. We also have a plan in Colorado that would achieve, again, a mid-80s uh, greenhouse gas uh, reduction that's under review now. So we can't get to net zero. You know, we can't get to zero without uh, first approving those interim plans, which for us is fulfillment of our 80 percent reduction by 2030. So, you know, getting to that level of emissions reduction is really critical first, and that's that is a role for the states. You know, along the way, I mentioned current technology. In the absence of carbon-free 24/7 generation, that means it's a, a really important and critical role uh, for uh, existing nuclear generation and for natural gas, uh, both existing and new. Again, that firm dispatchable resource really, really key to integrating high levels of intermittent resources. So along the way, you know, we've got to have those current technologies. I think, you know, clearly third, uh, timely approval of pilot programs, pilot programs that are going to allow, allow us to test and demonstrate the types of technologies that we're talking about. Uh, there isn't often a clear regulatory pathway to do that. So I think that's going to be a role for state legislatures, a role for uh, state commissions to really think about how do we prioritize, how do we encourage and incentivize uh, new pilot demonstrations? You know, we also can't have a, a change in the public policy along the way. So if, if it's a consistent objective of net zero or zero emissions and a timeline that works within the guardrails of reliability and affordability, then that's something that will absolutely work. But if we have a public policy that dictates a resource outcome uh, a specific resource outcome or a timeline that doesn't work that's too fast. You know, we have to have congruent state policy that says, look, it's going to take some time to develop this new technology. And appropriately, I think many of the member companies have looked, you know, to 2050 as the type of time that we'll need. We talked uh, briefly about permitting, and I'll just, I want to make a plug for that as well, because 
States is again, where the traditional land use authority resides. And so support for permitting and siting reform, whether that's NEPA or other regulations, you know, use of existing rights of way and uh, existing facilities, that really is a state function. So the collaboration with states is really gonna be key. We could talk about this the entire podcast, but I, I really do think the, the focus and the implementation really has to shift to our partnerships with states. And in some cases, doesn't IIJ funding, won't that flow from the federal government to the states for, for some of these infrastructure yes. projects? Yeah, exactly. So the, the SEP programs, the formulaic grants, right, will go, will go to states. And you're right to point that out because then states have the discretion of which agency those funds go to. Now, obviously, not all that fund, funding is dedicated to energy RD, D&D, uh, but for infrastructure and other things that are part of the, the SEP programs. But there's no question there are formulaic grants to states, and I think we have a role there. Uh, EV infrastructure is one in particular. Uh, but then the competitive monies, that which largely we've been talking about, I think... Um, I think is probably a formula for success too, partnership with states. And you're starting to see these regional collaborations come together um, and MOUs announced by states that say, we're actually gonna, we're gonna join together and submit uh, uh, a joint uh, application to Department of Energy. So Eric, for EEI looking at some of the RDD and D challenges and opportunities, haven't we actually kind of developed a new environmental subcommittee to look at these issues and some of the priorities of CFTI? Well, in, in fact, we have, uh, and and really largely for a lot of the reasons that CFTI was created and, and EEI has taken the opportunity to restructure and create a brand new clean technology R&D subcommittee, um, largely kind of mirrored after the CFTI effort because we know that a lot of members are very focused in this area now. I, you know, I would have said five years ago, there would have been a handful of members with demos in some of these areas. Now, uh, it's like a handful a day seem to be announcing something. So um, we wanted to capture that. The, the members, of course, that are interested in these projects that are starting to undertake them, uh, while they certainly want to be in stronger communication with DOE, uh, there's a lot of a role that EEI can play at the federal level uh, to help connect members with the um, with the technologies. And of course, also, uh, Jeff mentioned earlier, the DOE um, RFI on hydrogen and responding to these requests for input from DOE how should hubs be structured? How should this happen? How should that happen? Well, you know, EEI, in part through its work with CFTI and, of course, our own work with members in these areas uh, can submit comments and try to uh, influence that process. So we created the um, subcommittee to help us really tackle that and uh, reach those areas and be able to help us address the same challenge at the company level. If you will, it's almost like an EEI version of CFTI, which is multiple partners. And I would just say, you know, we're largely focused on the challenges at the federal level, and there's a lot of those. Jeff has just outlined the challenges at the state level, which might even be more and perhaps even more significant because um, it's one thing to move a project at a federal level, but it's really going to take all those individual pieces at the end, the permitting, the siting, the coordination among states to uh, make these things happen. So I don't think you can underscore that challenge uh, too much, even though I think a lot of the focus right now is just on DOE and funding and, you know, I think people see it as sort of a large thing that can happen and it's really going to be composed of thousands of small pieces of projects that need to move forward and that takes a lot of a lot of effort, but we're trying to capture that through our uh, new subcommittee uh, to help take advantage of this energy and enthusiasm amongst members uh, and some of these developments at DOE. 
So I've actually seen quite a few headlines recently talking about the regional technology hubs. Jeff, would you be able to share maybe from a company perspective how you're viewing these hubs, what kind of technologies are being considered and how just how important these can be for, for driving innovation? Yeah, you bet. Look, I just want to make sure that I make a um, uh, give my praise to Eric and the and staff at EEI on the creation of the subcommittee. Um, it doesn't run itself. It has to be staffed by EEI. And it's been uh, great working with the team. And I think it's, it's it's a great way for sort of joint discovery on several fronts of how we can share best practices, how we can solve this challenge uh, together. So I just want to say thanks for, for, for doing that, for staffing it, Eric. Um, so hubs, Brian, yeah, there's a lot of conversation about hubs right now, particularly hydrogen and carbon capture hubs. Um, I think 21 and a half billion uh, among hydrogen, carbon capture, advanced nuclear, also some demonstration uh, uh, projects in, in certain communities that IIJA authorized for, for the Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations. Um, and we've seen, as we talked about, some initial RFIs. Uh, again, DOE, I think, asking great questions about what should be in the funding opportunity announcements. And I really applaud that work that DOE has done uh, really pretty quickly uh, this year already. Um, the way that I think about the hubs is that, you know, th this challenge is, is really daunting. And as much funding as DOE has now, that's 62 billion, it probably won't be enough to do everything everyone wants to do, right? And so it really makes sense to, to concentrate uh, the funding uh, in more um, hub-like fashion. What that's gonna do is that's gonna demonstrate uh, the business case, get high utilization, high cost effectiveness, and hopefully um, build the credibility for additional hubs uh, with ongoing funding or maybe ultimately hubs that are market competitive. And so it really makes sense for those larger projects to think about a hub concept, think about uh, multiple partners, again, our return to risk, right? It's about a risk sharing model. So bringing partners together in a hub, whether that's academia, the energy sector, um, state government, um, really, it's going to, I think, take a village for those successful applications. So there's a lot of conversation about hubs right now. Um, here in Colorado, uh, we are one of four states uh, in which governors signed a Rocky Mountain uh, MOU to partner on a regional hydrogen hub. And there are others across the country that have been announced in the last couple of months. And so I think you're going to see continued focus in that type of project development um, application. You know, and the hubs are so exciting too, Jeff, aren't they? In that, right, it's really this way of being able to bring together, you know, one or more ways of perhaps making hydrogen and then combining that with carbon capture and storage and figuring out how much hydrogen can you transport in pipes and or how much can be stored underground or how much can I make from a nuclear plant or from a uh, an improved, uh, you know, electrolysis plant using renewables, right? And then how do end users of some of this, how do cement manufacturers or steel manufacturers take advantage uh, either in creating uh, hydrogen or other sources or in absorbing it? Yeah, so I think these things are super exciting, right? And it is, right? And I think wisely DOE's called for a range of different demos and different areas to your point, Jeff, right? Different communities, different resources, different technologies, because, you know, right, like that's the only way we're going to kind of figure this out is to get out there and do some experimenting and trying and learning. And I think that just drives home your earlier points on on the role of states in this. And you can imagine like people getting excited about a hub. But if if three of four states are coordinated, but not the fourth one, 
uh, might impact like the critical part of, of, of a particular project. So really important uh, to have that focus as well. But I think those are an exciting uh, development. It really has this way, Eric, I agree, of, of, of underscoring, I think, what we've known, which is the interconnectedness of our energy systems, right? And yeah. you do, you start to think um, economy-wide as well, which is, I think, much of driving much of DOE uh, and the Biden administration's thinking on this, right? How can the power sector lead? How can the power sector enable emissions reductions across the economy, whether that's transportation or buildings or heavy industry? And when you have uh, this sort of focus on a regional hub, uh, you can't help but sort of you know, pull in those various various parts of the of the economy that and I, th I think it really accelerates that thinking. And I think it's um, I, I think it's a smart move uh, on DOE's part to solicit feedback on those hubs early. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So it seems like there's a, a lot of alignment and really shared interests between CFTI and the Department of Energy. Uh, being here in D.C., Eric, are you having conversations with DOE on these things on a pretty regular basis, or they kind of everyone arrive at these conclusions separately. Well, I'd say we're we're certainly interacting with DOE and and trying to have uh, as many conversations with them as they have time uh, to allow. And of course, they are plowing through you know thousands of resumes. But uh, no, just interestingly, Brian, on that we were just in fact had a um, had uh, two folks from DOE uh, speak at our most recent Clean Tech Subcommittee meeting. Uh, to really kind of broaden that dialogue, uh, reach out to the Office of Clean Energy Demonstrations and the Office of Policy. Uh, but we're in regular conversation with them. And I think really one of the things we want to do going forward, given the key role of DOE in this, given the fact that they're staffing up, there's going to be a whole bunch of new players. This is, a you know, really a large, a new, I mean, DOE has always done R&D, but not at this sort of scale, right, at this level. And so it's, you know, we feel it's important to build uh, a good relationship with DOE um, to maintain that relationship, to be a resource. I mean, you know, they've got the funding. They, they're the government. They've got access to a lot of resources. We've got, of course, a lot of interest and a desire to be partners in that and to help demonstrate and deploy these technologies. So um, I think both partners really need to work well together. And of course, one of the great things about CFTI is it brings in other stakeholders as well that also have a key voice in this. Um, but having those conversations with DOE, yeah. And talking to them about what our needs are, you know, what we're looking for, asking them how we can be helpful, um, pointing out some of the work we've done in CFTI and the focus on our technologies, and then really helping individual members, I think, be able to interact with DOE on specific projects they have. So thanks. Yeah, but we are definitely trying to do that and really want to strengthen that more going forward. And are these conversations happening at the staff technical level and with the most senior leadership like Secretary Granholm and her team? Actually, actually, at all levels, right? So we've had certainly had the secretary has come and talked with us, spoken to our board on a couple of occasions, um, uh, and then senior advisors from her office, but then also at the staff level, right? The folks that are uh, helping write the RFIs and doing some of the analysis. So really trying to do it uh, top to bottom and build all of those relationships in a comprehensive fashion to, um, you know, again, we feel like our industry can play a critical role in helping DOE and we really want to make sure that this gets uh, through the pipeline and we can help them as much as possible because it means a lot, of course, to our industry and to the nation. And so whatever we can do to, to be a factor there. Uh, and certainly, of course, as, as we've outlined here, we have a lot of specific thoughts on the best ways to help us develop and deploy these technologies. So we want to bring that uh, to DOE as well. 
And Jeff, I think the answer to this is going to be yes, but do you see CFTI partners sustaining the current high level of engagement on these issues? And really just how critical are these key technologies as we're focusing more and more on how to power a carbon-free economy? So Brian, I, I think there is um, there is a clear future for this group. I think there's an inevitability of our work together. Just to your previous question to Eric, you know, I, I think there's also a common a shared view um, with DOE that the power sector will lead on emissions reduction and that the power sector will be um, really a, um, enable a pathway to a low carbon economy through electrification. And I think there's also, <clears throat> a secondly, a shared vision on, on the need for speed. Really, I mean, the 2030 is, is, is fast approaching, especially if you're an energy system planner, that is two resource planning cycles in the future, which is not much. Uh, and so uh, it has to succeed. And we collectively need to pull technologies uh, into reality to address the last 15%, the last 20%, 25%. It's going to vary, of course, by region, right? But these technologies really um, are, are going to be critical in the 2030 timeframe, especially if we have to maintain always affordability and reliability. And so I think our work only intensifies, Brian. And I think, uh, I hope it will evolve. I hope we will gain more partnerships, especially as, as we work more so with states and with regions. I think we're gonna learn a lot. It's been a lot of fun and we're gonna continue to have fun. And um, I, I really think this is an exciting future for our industry. I think it demonstrates real leadership uh, from EEI and the member companies. And um, it's really been uh, a pleasure to be part of it. Well, thank you both so much for joining us again today and for all the work that you're really doing to help advance the carbon-free technologies we need to, to meet the pretty ambitious goals that the yeah, as member companies have set. Thanks, Brian. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you both. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.